0: Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you
1: in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside.
0: Basically, we're just here to talk about books.
1: We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to Better Words. Michelle, how are you? Good, thank you how are you I'm good I feel like I've had a very very busy week weeks
0: yeah it's been a busy week or so for me too and like just lots of lots of little things that have added up to me feeling quite tired you know just like little yeah. organizational things that you have to remember to do and then at the end of the week you're like oh my god I didn't achieve anything but I'm actually really tired <laughs> yeah me too I have to say, I
1: am really, really looking forward to this weekend. I have like a weekend off. I currently have no plans. I want to read a lot. Really looking forward to that.
0: I approve of this. Um, Well, we're recording on a Tuesday. We usually record on a Monday and I actually had blocked off in my calendar because I've been preparing all this stuff for my business. And so it has meant that I've been working a lot of weekends and I've been doing a lot of stuff. And then this weekend we had um, like a family funeral back in Australia. And with the time difference, it was like 1am and just had like a really horrible sleep patterns. And so I'd said to you, Oh, um, I don't really want to do any work today (laughs) after we record this. So, um, I'm very excited, but that's my thing too, is like, I just want two days off where I'm literally have no plans. And I do have like, hopefully having a coffee with someone outdoors um hopefully doing a zoom catch up with someone but other than that like I can just read my book and I'm so excited for that just to just have you know to have the option to be like do I read now or do I play the switch now like you know (laughs) just just to be like doing whatever I want and a lady of leisure <laughs> I know <laughs> but yeah it's been a, it's been a little while since I've had that and I felt like I had done a lot of a lot of work so I I needed to um, to have a bit of rest so I am very excited for you as well to have those days off where you literally just do nothing except reading. Yeah so I good. just
1: I really it's you know too ambitious. But I have so many books I want to read at the moment that I just want to sit down on the weekend and read. I almost want to say I want to read
0: three books this weekend. But that's oh, my ridiculous. gosh.
1: <laughs> I just well, want to do nothing.
0: Yeah. No, I want to finish. I want to finish. I, I'm not going to say that I'd finish them in my two days off. But, um Definitely by the end of this week, I want to finish a couple of the ones because I'm like halfway through a couple of different I, books. Me too. Yeah. But then I get halfway through and I'm like, but I feel like starting a new book. Like it's nothing against the book that I'm reading. It's just the allure of the book that's sitting on my bookshelf. I know, like it looks so good over there. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure everyone can relate. Yes, <laughs> an eternal dilemma, really.
1: Yes, it is. It's just a, it's a cycle. We keep going round and round and round. But yeah. a book that we have both managed to finish yes. <laughs> that we're chatting about today is "The Boy from the Mish" by Gary Lunsborough. I hope I've said that right. I think so. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, know this... what my second guess would be, anyway. But um,
0: no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a brand new book. Uh, came out. I wanna say this month. I want to say, say, say March
1: early. as well. Maybe the end of February. That kind yeah. of been out for more than a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. So we decided to pick this um as a as a little book club read because we had been seeing some fabulous reviews about it. And we just thought this would be a really good one to chat about. So It's such a fast read as well. Like I was reading on my e-reader because obviously I couldn't get a physical copy here in the UK. Um, And I think it said about like five hours to read or something. And I think at the end, like the stats came up and it was like four hours to read or whatever. So, yeah, it was very, very quick um, for me. But like really, I think it's because the story moves quite quickly as well. It takes place over a couple of days. So you do sort of feel like you're caught up in that moment. So it's quite a quite a quick and easy and fairly enjoyable read as well. Although it deals with some difficult issues. We always seem to pick books and we're like, these are difficult difficult issues um but it does have a nice ending so it's not yeah. it's not sad at all
1: no it's not really a sad book it is quite um a very cute and fun read um and as we said because it was so new I'd been seeing the cover all over Instagram and I hadn't really thought about what it was about <laughs> until we did what a do you want to read the blurb since you've got a I book with a copy an blurb? I <laughs> in my hands. I will read the blurb. It's a hot summer and life's going all right for 17-year-old Jackson and his family on the mish. It's almost Christmas, school's out, and he's hanging with his mates, teasing the visiting tourists, avoiding the races in town. Just like every year, Jackson's auntie and annoying little cousins visit from the city, but this time Thomas, his mysterious and troubled past come with them as their friendship evolves jackson must confront the changing shapes of his relationships with his friends family and community and he must face his darkest secret a secret he thought he'd locked away for good
0: so it's gonna be really difficult to talk about this book if we don't say that what the secret is (laughs) yeah so just gonna say it um but i mean if you don't want any spoilers then just skip just to the skip interview through and head the on over chat to is be about that. <laughs> um, so, so the it is a coming out novel but well it's actually it's not necessarily a coming out novel is it it's a, a coming to the realization internally that he's gay and yeah. and it's, accepting
1: it's, that um yeah yeah and gaining the courage to tell his friends and family what he has known but didn't like
0: about himself for a while. Yeah, so I think that's maybe the first thing we should talk about is it was such an interesting and and you know we always say on this podcast that reading makes you more empathetic and you know reading is we we love experiencing these other things that we could never otherwise experience. And I am not an Aboriginal teenage Boy. Man, yeah. boy, man, boy, man, um, who is coming to the realisation that he's gay. Like, I'm never, ever going to understand what that's like. But I think the boy from the Mish really puts you in that position and it's just so, like, sort of just grabs you by the heart, really, because there were so many points at which I just wanted to give him a hug because he was struggling with stuff. And so I think that's the first thing that I wanted to chat to you about was the um, the way that this book sort of displays that internalised homophobia that I think a lot of boys, partic- it's particularly, we can talk about it in terms of an Australian culture, a blokey male masculine culture Um, and I think this is the first book I can really think of where that is the central portrayal for for both the boys really who are both grappling with this idea that you know they've grown up in a society where there is so much homophobia and just casual things tossed around and there are slurs used in this book but in a way that is obviously um addressed as well but it just yeah. sort of goes to show the sort of thing which I think us growing up in regional Queensland we've definitely seen
1: yeah absolutely and i think that this yeah that sort of particular australian perspective is quite interesting i don't think as we were we were trying to think of books before we started recording and I can think of a few, but unfortunately I haven't read them where this is a coming out novel or, you know, that sort of similar story, but Australian, you know, I've read plenty yeah. that are American or the UK, but not particularly this, which I also just have to flag that this book has one of our favourite things ever, Michelle, which is that Aussie summer Christmas when they're on school holidays. Yes. Love it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get enough. I've read a few books now that yes. are set at that time, and it's just the best because they're on school holidays, then there's Christmas, but they're going swimming, and then it's New Year's. Oh, it's so good. I love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And it even ends with, like, a big summer storm, which, you know, for us is the experience of summer in Queensland. Um, I think it's based on, um, when I was reading the author's note at the back, it's based on the author's experience growing up in New South Wales. Um, So somewhat similar to Queensland in terms of... like weather and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, but the big summer storm, I was like, oh, yeah, that is, that is what it's like, the storm rolling in and you, you feel it building throughout the day and the way that the storm is used in particular is so evocative at the point, like emotionally charged element of the story. It was really, really clever and 100%. really great writing. Um, something that oh, I don't want to say we struggled with, but we were just talking about this before, but I think both of us, um, this book is not for us. So, I don't think it's yeah. fair to say that I don't think it's fair to say that we struggled with this and that, but I think what's what was interesting for both of us is that it's a very different style of writing and a very different, you know, we're used to reading these reading these books that are like not overanalyzing everything, but being in someone's well, head that
1: is of really character driven.
0: stories
1: that is a lot of like internal monologue you know like your internal dialogue or whatever that's called um a lot like in the main character's head them telling you the story remembering talking about things over analyzing
0: things and and I do think that it's a way of storytelling that maybe (sighs) I don't want to generalise too much, but I think maybe like girls do a bit more of like going into all the details about all the little things that happen. (laughs) Um, Whereas when I was reading this, I did sort of think like, oh, this this is definitely, this is obviously written for a predominantly male audience. And I was like, this is the sort of thing that I think Jack would enjoy more because it's not... I was like, yeah, this is probably what Jack's thought process is like with things. Like it's yeah. not over the top. and I, But it, it was just an interesting experience to to read that and actually have that thought process of like, oh, this is very different to what I usually read, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what well, I can't yes. articulate why. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And I think that's an interesting thing too because, you know, quite common probably particularly for us, Michelle, particularly reading Young Adult to read books written by women whether the main characters are female or male and so reading a male character written by a woman can sometimes be a little bit different not that that really matters or affects the story but this one I guess because it does say in the author's note that it is inspired by his personal experience that it it feels a bit more realistic and you know, his teenage self. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, the other thing that the book deals with really well, um, which again is something unfortunately that we've seen and, you know, I've got to say that things that my family would have said in the past as well, um, growing up in regional Queensland is the casual racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the way that he explores that in the book um, as unfortunately, and just to, just a. Byproduct of everyday life rather than like a specific issue um, is really, really interesting. And I think he does a really good job of sort of just bringing that to light and hopefully making people I mean, I think most people who will be reading this book are probably um, not going to have that viewpoint, hopefully. But I think it just also makes you feel like I, like for me, like my, it's my, you know, family, people might have said stuff in the past that is what they grew up hearing. And it's just, it's so wrong, but for so long, it's just been allowed to continue. I think that they, um, you know, address it, the boys address it in a really good way in here. Um, Although there are some there are some fights, which I'm not sa- I'm not saying the fights are a good way to deal with it, but the way that um the way that he sort of brings it into the story is really poignant and yeah. So there's two like big issues there that that Jackson is dealing with, um, and I guess it's so hard for him as well because he doesn't want his family and friends to hate him, and that's his main thing, and he's having this internal battle because he really likes this boy but he's also like sort of really angry at himself for feeling that way as well yeah. it's yeah it's really it's really interesting the way he builds that narrative of, as well because the the more the story goes on the more you sort of hear from Jackson that maybe he's actually felt like this for a while and really suppressed it a lot. It's not a, you know. Yeah, that it didn't um, just
1: come out of nowhere. It is a bit of a big deal, these sorts of things. And um, there are two characters, Jackson's friends, who are sort of like his two best friends that are in the book quite a lot and they are very
0: nice actually at the end, aren't they? I really liked them. One of the one of them does one of them them takes a second, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) he reacts in a in a really horrible way. But then I really like the way that one of the elders sits down with Jackson and is like, sometimes when people are afraid of things, um, and they're scared of things, they will lash out and say things. And I just thought it was so good the way that, um, you know, obviously. Jackson was really scared of anyone but his friends finding out. And then the way that um, one of the uncles approaches him and is like, oh, I heard what, I heard what he said to you. And, um, and he was sort of like, Oh, so you know what he said? Um, like, what do you think about it? And it was just, it was just such a really like, yeah. Oh, it was such a, a gorgeous scene where he, he was sort of basically saying like, you're okay. And we'll always love you no matter what, like you don't have to worry about us. Like you're, our family yeah, yeah it's it really a really cool. an, a
1: lovely acceptance story isn't it it's super cute yeah. and adorable and um I have actually got a ticket the other day she see Gary Lonsborough in conversation with Benjamin Law at the Sydney Writers Festival um which is in a couple of weeks mm. and I just have to I want to read you the quote from Benjamin Law on the front of the book, Michelle, because I don't think you would have seen it because you had the (laughs) e-copy. How I wish I had this big-hearted book when I was a teenager. It would have changed my life. Let it change yours. Oh, that's so nice. What an amazing endorsement quote for the cover of the book. Yeah, you know, as we said, this book is not for us. But if anyone listening thinks this book might be for someone in their life, absolutely get them a copy.
0: But even like, even though we're not, we're saying it's not for us, what we mean is not that we didn't enjoy it or that we didn't take something from it, just that like it's not written for us. That doesn't mean that you can't like, please go and read this book. Yeah, it, it's, it's a beautiful been, story. Yeah, But
1: yes, as we kind of said before, we are, <laughs> we are we're not-, not the
0: target. We're yeah, not we're not the audience. target
1: audience. It's not as wonderful and beautiful as this book is. I'm so glad I read it, but it's not going to change yeah. my life, as Benjamin Moore says. But we, I hope it changes other people's lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfectly put. That's going to be such an interesting conversation I know, as well. I'm really looking forward to it. There's actually,
1: yeah. um, as is often the way at Australian Writers Festivals, the weekend... Saturday is like the YA day. So there's like five or six YA sessions. I got tickets for all of them. <laughs> oh, God, look at you. Lucky your triples, me, right?
0: down and- <laughs> God. Could only dream of this. Honestly, like us living in Rocky, look at being like all those people who go to, who go to the Sydney Writers Fest just because they live in Sydney. Oh, and now I get to go. <laughs> no, I'm really happy for you. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, we'll have to have a full report, please.
1: I will definitely provide a full report because there are lots of great guests, including some past guests of ours. Oh, that's so exciting! Who? Jenna Guillaume, Frances Chapman, and
0: upcoming guest Leanne Hall.
1: But that will air before the the festival, so.
0: Yeah, but if you can't make the festival, because you don't live in Sydney, like most of us, um, you can listen to our upcoming chat with Leanne Hall. It's very, very interesting. Um, Wow, that's very exciting. Well, I think that concludes our little book club um, on the Boy from the Mish. We really, really enjoyed it. Even though, as we said, we are not the intended target audience, but it is a really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful novel, and such a great addition to like the canon of Australian queer literature. Oh, absolutely. yeah, so definitely one to recommend to a lot of people. Um, yeah, so with that, it, um, so with that we will continue on with queer love stories, but this time with a bit of a breakup. Our guest today is a writer and editor with a master's in American history from the University of Sheffield and now lives in London with her wife and cat. Today we are talking about her wonderful debut novel, The Split, which has been described as a heartwarming and intensely funny story of love, heartache, friendship and family. Welcome to Better Words, Laura Kay. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us,
1: Laura. Let's just get right into it. Can you tell us a bit about The Split?
0: So The
2: Split is about a woman named Ali who, um, after a breakup, moves back to Sheffield to live with her dad and reunites with her childhood friend, Jeremy, who's also going through a really rubbish time. And they decide to um, run a half marathon together, the Sheffield half marathon together, um, in a sort of like sad attempt to win back their exes. Um, And then stuff happens along the way.
0: Most importantly, though, she's also stolen her partner's cat. Or That's her ex's am- cat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's him. <cute>. Malcolm. Yes. <laughs> Great name for
2: a cat. Yeah. I love it.
0: It is so funny and delightful, but also, you know, it's quite poignant as well and certain things. And I think it's the sort of thing that anyone who's ever had a a breakup will relate to especially you know doing drastic things um if you don't mind telling us also have you ever done as anything as drastic as stealing a cat after a breakup I never have
2: I've never stolen a pet after a breakup um I think when I was writing Ali she and the things that she does and the things that she thinks and the way that she expresses herself which is like quite dramatic and and um she like enjoys like wallowing in the whole like melancholy of the breakup is a part of me that exists but probably I wouldn't express so it was quite nice to like sort of have an outlet for like behaving like that yeah. <laughs> it's like reenacting yeah.
0: and it's like this is what I would do if I yeah, could <laughs> how I feel. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like just a warning to my wife exactly. this is I will take the cat Careful. I will take the cat <laughs> <laughs> I actually expressed that to her before <laughs> uh, well Malcolm is very well looked after by Ali so it's mm. not it's not a bad thing at all it's quite it's quite funny but she does take it basically mm. like so that, she wants Emily to chase after her right. and be like, come and get the cat back off me. And they have yeah. this exchange of emails of like, no, you bring the cat back to me. No, you come and get the cat off me. And I just <laughs> yeah. found it so, so funny. Um, as I said, you know, it's the sort of thing that many, many people will relate to um, any any sort of breakup. You don't have to have stolen a pet to understand yeah. the, uh, the emotions around this. And as you say, like Jeremy is going through heartbreak as well. Um, and he's the one who comes up with the crazy idea to run a half marathon uh, which we're going to talk about a bit later but um, what I really loved about the book is that you don't demonize Emily um, or make Ali out to be a saint you don't sort of put either of them in that polarizing position why was it important for you to show that you know Ali may have done some things she wasn't aware of that kind of led to the relationship breaking down or you know just have that realization of the, the different shades in that relationship I think
2: it was really important
0: uh, to not demonize Emily I think
2: people can do bad things bad things or like I don't know maybe they make wrong turns in a relationship and it doesn't make them the bad person in the relationship and I think they're so it is so complicated and you can never know someone's relationship from the outside. Like there's just, just so many levels to it. Um, And I really didn't want to paint like this person's evil and she did something wrong to Ali and, you know, she's terrible and all of this. Like I wanted there to be that like tension of like, could Ali have done something different? Is there stuff that we're not seeing that she's not letting us know? And like, I wanted that to like play out over the book. And I didn't want it to be this thing of like really, really, all the readers rooting against Emily like I I just I wanted it to be slightly more like nuanced than that because I don't think that in general people are bad and there's like a bad and a good person in a breakup there's just so much more to it than that and I think it's much more interesting when you look at all of the things that have gone wrong rather than just the one really obvious thing yeah
1: absolutely more interesting and also more realistic because As much as, you know, in other TV shows and rom-coms and stuff where it's like all the girls going, no, you're you're the villain in this story. (laughs) It's never really the way. Like that's not actually what happens. So I think this is a much more realistic approach.
0: And you do need your friends around you to be like, you have absolutely be wronged by them. But at the same time, you also need like people eventually to be like, Do you think maybe, like, you need to just examine your behavior in this as well? And, you know, it is, I think for the most part, it's probably really rare to have that dramatic, like, breakup scene of, like, you're cheating on me and that's it. And it is that much more, I think the, the thing about this breakup is it's not dramatic at all. It's very much that, like this thing has been crumbling bit by bit and we didn't really notice until it was a bit too late and I think the fact that that is the category it makes it less of like a funny rom-com and more like this is really a serious like it's a proper portrayal of what most breakups are really like like I said about you know there's there's parts of Ali that are probably
2: ways for me to like express a certain part of like perhaps how I might behave in a breakup if I was to allow myself to be like my true self but like I think there's also a lot of parts of me in Emily as well like that's why it was really important to me that she wasn't (laughs) that she wasn't horrible (laughs) Um, like there's so like she she's like maybe a difficult person and but she's like torn up about the breakup just as much as Ali I think it's a thing that perhaps sometimes gets lost in traditional rom-coms or um about breakups is that there's this big dramatic moment and then you know there's a like a lot of like lounging around eating ice cream and you know all of this but it really it's just like very sad like even if there's like a, someone's been wrong or this or that like the the core thing is just everyone is so sad and like I think I really wanted that to come across which is making it sound like this is a really depressing book it's not,
0: <laughs> not but it's, but it's also more realistic than just like, yeah, I guess like a, I don't want to say like traditional rom-com, but it's not. They're like tropes and, that Yeah, were, it's yeah. It definitely, it's definitely more nuanced than that. All this talk of breakups. Obviously the split is a lot about, you know,
1: breakups and the main romantic relationship, but overwhelmingly it is about the power of friendship and family as well. So why were those things that you wanted to explore like in that context within I guess the breakup story?
2: Well I think so when I started writing the book um the first thing that came to me were the characters of Ali and Jeremy so it the they, friends first yeah the friends first yeah. so they were what I wanted to write about and everything else sort of fell into place after they already existed I knew that I wanted to write about friendship I love reading about friendship and I really, really wanted to write about the friendship between a queer woman and a queer man, because I haven't read many books where that's the centre relationship. In fact, I'm struggling to think of any uh, off the top of my head, although I know that there will be some. Um, And in my real life, that's like so commonplace. I have loads of, um, gay friends and so does my wife and our whole friendship group is queer people and so that was really natural to me and I really wanted to like portray that in my novel so yeah they came first and I love writing them I think they're so much better. I love
0: reading them they're so gorgeous I, just <laughs> love <them. laughs> I love a good friendship duo yeah and and the way that they comfort each other to also sometimes enable each other's fantasies about getting back with their exes but then like I think the thing that still sticks in my mind after finishing it is the scene in in Jeremy's bedroom where he's just really he's like I don't want to get up and she like comes in and is is the friend that he needs in that moment and yeah I do just love them together like they're so cute. <laughs> oh, oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, I love them. I think they're so much fun and,
2: and I but I also wanted and I think as well there's like a very maybe not specifically Sheffield, but I think a very specifically British and maybe very specifically Northern way that they interact with each other, which is they're not like soppy, they're not sentimental, they're very like they just like take the piss out of each other and mess about until there's like you know, a very important moment where they need to be there for each other and then there's, like, a hint. There's, like, a, you know, kiss Until on the Until the moment gets, like, like a, really yeah. real. <laughs> and yeah, like, oh, love you. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, <laughs> it like takes a lot, but there's that, like, there's that love there all the way through. I actually think that that translates really well to the Australian way of doing things, too. Like, our Aussie listeners definitely you've got to, f- you got to find the humor funny and stuff like that. I mean, if you've ever watched any British TV shows, you'll, you'll get it as well. But yeah, I think, I think it is definitely a very British thing, but luckily Brits and Aussies, I think have the same sense yeah, of humor. and that flavor is, of
1: humor. Yeah.
0: That is taking the piss out of people. Yeah. Um, and that's how you know that we love you. Like yeah. that's the more that you <laughs> take the piss out of someone. Um, so yeah, that definitely, I've, I really just, their relationship was so, so beautiful and, definitely like what I loved most about the novel but also like Ali's dad as well he was the cutest and I love that you include a bit about him you know maybe dating one of the teachers so he's a teacher at a school and like you know there's a teacher he always talks (laughs) about and she's like Oh, so what about this person? Is she going to be there? Like, I just love that there was this little subplot. That of they tease each other as well. Dad, yeah, yeah, her dad finally getting, because her mum had died. And, you know, maybe her dad finally branching out and dating someone again. And I was just, I just love that that was included.
2: Yeah, I mean, I... I I love Ali's dad and actually where while you were saying that I was thinking when I sent in one of my drafts I remember getting edits back and in the margins there was just like heart 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 next to everything I wrote about Ali's dad (laughs) and I think when I like when this was like on submission like so much feedback I got was like oh Ali's dad oh the dad oh my god he's so cute um I I think he's great, and I loved writing those two together as well. I think there's this like sort of strained, slightly difficult thing from not having seen each other in a long time and not really knowing how to be with each other anymore, and like that is uh, a difficult thing, and especially like as an adult moving home and living with the parents again, like it's a whole different adjustment. Actually, that's like and probably like will ring very true with people, especially after the past year where lots of adults have had to move back in with their parents and refigure relationships.
0: Also, I feel like the adult relationship, like I I feel like it's usually a mother daughter relationship that we see in books. Like I haven't read many books where it is an adult daughter and father relationship, especially one where they're so close and and there's that real bond between them as well. Um, So I really enjoyed seeing that too, just because I, can't really think of any others that I've read in that same way I can think there's like some young adult that I've read where the father-daughter relationship was there but again I think it, it's totally different when you're an adult coming back to live in in your childhood home and um I do I do love that he sort of sometimes is like um do you want to get a job now like I know that you're sad but um maybe it's time to do this (laughs) very delicate um let's let's quickly talk about Sheffield because I live in Chesterfield which is just down the road um and yep technically another county uh technically Sheffield's South Yorkshire and we're Derbyshire but we get Yorkshire news um on BBC (laughs) so we're close enough um so I could absolutely picture, it. and also um, a train fare from Chesterfield to Sheffield is was like three pounds mm. on my rail card. So I used to go there quite a bit. There was a great Waterstones. I really enjoyed going there for the day, um, and it literally is like a fifteen minute train ride. So I am starting to think that, me. that this is like somehow rigged because I feel like so many
1: of the authors it's and books not. that we've read for book clubs and interviewed. <laughs> for the podcast this year and last year have books set in Sheffield or the author is from Sheffield. And I, it just keeps coming up. I don't know how you're no, doing this, it's
0: Michelle. Not. It's not. It's just all the best people are from the <laughs> North. Um, I swear like I'm not. so um, many times now. No, I know. It is just a coincidence. Like, especially because Abigail Mann, we talked about one of the characters was from Sheffield. That was totally a coincidence. That blew me away too. But when I did get a press release through about the split and I was like, yeah, this sounds quite interesting. Sounds like it could be for us. And then the thing that I was like, oh my God, yes, we need this is that I saw it was in Sheffield and I was like, well, of course we have to do it, but I promise you it's not rigged. Um, But yes, let's talk about it. Um, I do love that it's set away from London because, um, you know, so much, so much is set in London. Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh my God, I love, I love, especially before I lived here, you know, I'll read any book set anywhere in the UK, but it is, I think, the thing that you don't realize when you when you don't live here, or you're not from here, is um how distinctly different every single part of the UK is. It's absolutely bananas. People here are so crazy obsessed with their counties. It's so weird. And every and everywhere is so different. Like the slang is different in every single tiny part it's different in Australia too, but like this country is minuscule compared to Australia. It just blows my mind. And I think I once heard something that said like the accent changes something like every 20 miles or something. So yeah, it's just crazy, but not far. Oh my God. I feel like I'm like an honorary like northerner now Um, and I have a lot of pride in that. So I do feel I'm like, oh, Sheffield, oh, Peak District, (laughs) you know, in a book that I read. I'm like, oh, yay. Um, Anyway, how did you feel portraying Sheffield? Because you've obviously lived there as well. Um, You know, why why that place? So, yeah, I went to uni in Sheffield
2: and then stayed. So I lived there for six years in total. And by the end of that six years, I also felt like an honorary Yorkshire girl. (laughs) Um, and my wife is from Yorkshire, so I feel like that like really cements it. and I love Sheffield. I think it's a great city, and i I knew that I wanted to write about it, um because the the time that I spent there was really formative as well, so I have like lots of memories and it really like conjures up a lot for me. but I also, and this is like quite crucial, uh wanted to write about people running in Sheffield because it is so hilly like if you haven't been to Sheffield I cannot describe to you how many hills there are it is hill after hill after hill and you think oh good this bit's flat and you turn the corner and there's another hill and they're 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 so steep that they've got like some of them have got handrails put in by the council to help you up the hills like it is no joke so like running in Sheffield is horrific um and I really wanted that for this book. Well, that really adds
0: another element then to the half marathon storyline. Yeah. Let's talk about oh that my because God. I was, I was reading these scenes knowing that the tiny bits of Sheffield I've been to are really horrible and I haven't even been to all the hilly bits yet. And I was like, oh my God, I could never do this. Like the yes, thought of doing up to 5k actually makes me want to vomit. Like, no. <laughs> Give me, like, I've been doing dance classes daily for the last eight weeks of lockdown, but do not make me run. I could never do it. Um, okay, so tell us so about... Your... Are you a runner? I'm sorry, we're here, like... Yeah, a runner. I am. This is my... <laughs> <laughs> but sorry. I, I,
2: I'm, I'm a reluctant runner. So, like, I am a runner. I've been running for many years, but it's really a keeping my brain, like, sane thing. Um, so I'm very slow, and I've never got faster. I always thought that I would one day be doing like a particular time for a particular distance and I'm just very steady stay the same and so I haven't run the Sheffield half marathon my wife has and I witnessed it and thought that's not for me
0: um but I have run- just reading <laughs> about it maybe yeah. it's not for- <laughs> <laughs> I have said a few times that this is
2: this book is actually just anti-running propaganda like the rest of it's Fuck just me. yeah
0: <laughs> I mean I was I was just thinking like there is no person who I would ever run a marathon for like yeah. even my fiance like I'm sorry I'm not running a marathon for you no. I just I, I don't think I could do it. I it especially not in yeah. Sheffield. <laughs> you just like, it's fine I'll get over it. Um, yeah <laughs> I,
2: yeah and I mean like so I ran the, the Brighton half marathon which was I mean entirely flat apart from like one small hill but it was raining and very windy so i mean not great um and then i ran the london marathon in 2017 or 2018 i can't remember the hottest year on record and it was horrific oh, absolutely no. horrific like I, I i i don't know i can't even remember most of it i think my brain is just like blacked it out um forget about that. that. <laughs> it's just like don't worry it never happened so i haven't run any like super long distances since but running doing the training for the london marathon particularly gave me so much material for training sessions and then for the run itself like i just i really really wanted to write about people doing a run really badly you know (laughs) like um, like unfit people attempting something that feels impossible because I, i just think it's incredible when when people run i mean any run it's ridiculous it's a horrible thing to do but that kind of distance and up those kind of hills is so impressive and you see people doing it and you like who for whom it's like obviously a massive struggle and I just think it's great and also really funny to write about
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you um like walk the the route that they take or anything like that I know the route that they take and like
2: I've walked I haven't walked it in total but I've walked parts of it why Um, would you why would you just don't do that to yourself you know I get it yeah
0: um were there any particularly nostalgic things that that you know from your days in Sheffield that made it onto the page like um the bar scenes I'm thinking about particularly like is that based on some some nights out at university (laughs) oh yeah um
2: so yeah I've had some really good times in Sheffield um and there is like a really iconic gay like bar club 24-7 hour establishment in Sheffield called Dempsey's. Have you ever heard of Dempsey's living in Chesterfield? Okay
0: but then to be fair I am secretly like 80 so I wouldn't I wouldn't <gasps> okay. go also, turn on you've me. have through a
1: pandemic so most everything's yeah. Down,
0: so. Yeah, that's very most true. of the time. Like there, there are like nightclubs in Chesterfield, though, or oh, there were anyway. Um, and we were coming back from Sheffield one night, and it was like Halloween, and there were just people queuing up outside the club, wearing absolutely nothing, which yeah. I will never judge. The thing that I was judging, I was just like, it's It's so cold. How are you basically in underwear, like literally in underwear and fishnets? I was like, power to you. That's amazing. What are your secrets? Because I'm rugged up and freezing. How? How are you doing
2: it? I, I don't know how. There's something like I couldn't do it now. But I do remember when I was at uni, one of my friends who's from Sweden would come and like stand in the queues in like full coat like zipped up to here like you could just see like her eyes and her nose and she'd be like what are you doing we're all just like in vest tops like oh it's fine we'll be there in a minute I don't want to pay a pound to put my coat away Yeah, I don't I don't know yeah there is incredible uh the sort of like British girl thing of being able to stand outside a club in <laughs> no clothes and it's oh yeah
0: impressive yeah I'm, <laughs> I just every time I would see them when we were allowed to go out I'd just be like how? I'm in awe that you were doing this yeah. <laughs> because I could not think of anything worse like actual yeah. torture yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. um maybe it is that like younger younger thing that you just you can you can do it and yeah, I don't know. yeah.
1: anyway um Laura a bit more about your writing so you were part of a, of a publishing mentoring program called right now So can you tell us a bit about your experience with that and how that helped you as a writer?
2: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to get chosen as one of 10 writers for the 2018 cohort of Right Now, which meant that I was assigned an editor at Penguin to be my mentor. So we had a year of working together. So she took my very rough but completed manuscript and worked with me on it to shape it up of the split yeah yeah it was then actually called Malcolm (laughs) which I which I really fought for and everyone said no you're not calling it Malcolm so fine um and then once it was sort of um in somewhat better shape uh I sent it out to agents and then I got my agent uh, Emma and Then things sort of took off from there. She she took the manuscript again. We worked on it again for another couple of drafts. I had no idea how many drafts of the book I would end up writing. I think it was something like by the time I finished, there were probably like eight drafts of the book, and like things were changing right up until the end. And then, yeah, then it went out on submission, and I got picked up. It went to auction, and I ended up with with Quirkus, my publisher now.
0: So how how much um did that mentoring help you like you said you had no idea how many drafts yeah. you would have to write do you think you would have got the deal like as quickly or be in the position where you're publishing at the moment without that yeah um so no i wouldn't have like there's no no <laughs> doubt about that
2: um there was so much to it that was so incredibly useful so it's so brutal having your work edited for the first time um but completely invaluable like I there was so much and like really really useful to have like whole sections scrubbed out to be like why or like <laughs> what is the point of this or would she really say this or you've already mentioned this three times like there's no need to keep going on about it and it's it's <laughs> she wasn't as brutal as that um you know that's what I that's what I read when I when I saw her notes um and uh that's really stuck with me so like I'm I'm obviously working on book two at the moment and those things come to me now when I read my own work like I'm literally writing on my own work why or she would never say that or this is really pointless yeah it's really helpful and there's uh, there's no way well it would have taken me a lot longer to get to the stage that I'm at now and I think part of that as well is that I would have had much less confidence in my work. I think the more that um, other people saw it and the more feedback I had on it, even if that feedback was tough, the more I was sure that this was something that would get picked up, like
1: yeah, something to
2: to keep working on and improving. Whereas if I was just, you know, sat here by myself, working on it by myself, I would have had no idea. And that probably would have shown in my like query letter, in my synopsis, everything yeah that I wasn't quite sure or perhaps that there was so much work to do to it that no one would want to take it on so yeah that was really helpful and it was also incredibly helpful to be on that in that group with all of the other writers and like I'm still in touch with a lot of them now and a few of them have got books coming out and others are working on theirs and it's so so helpful to have people to be like oh like is, has this happened to you, or this feels really hard, or this feedback was really rough, and to have people going through the same thing
0: yeah it it was been great, yeah, were there big dramatic changes in those eight drafts, or was it just was it just little things like tightening it up and things like that
2: it was there was no dramatic change. the core story has always been the same, but there have been the addition of characters. There has been the chopping of characters. But yeah, other than that, it's been tidying it up. And I think probably over the course of the eight drafts, getting to know the characters better so that all of their motivation makes more sense and you can maybe see where they might go. Whereas when I first started writing it, it was sort of feeling it out a lot more. Yeah. And
0: now I just, I feel like I know them inside out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Been with them for so long. You just know them so well.
0: Um. So the book is out uh, very, very soon. And hopefully it's not that long until you be able to actually walk into a bookshop and see it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very strange time in the publishing industry and definitely a strange time to be a debut author. How do you feel about how it's sort of unfolded? Because I imagine too with this uh, March 2021 release date at the end of last year we're like yeah okay maybe maybe I will get to like see it and stuff and things have happened since and um, what will you be doing to celebrate the launch? Yeah it, it has been a really weird time and it, that's exactly
2: I think probably last summer uh, when you know things started to ease here and things were relaxed I thought yes this is great I'm definitely going to be able to see it in a bookshop and then Over Christmas, when things went completely the other way and it was absolutely awful, I remember being like, well, bookshops aren't probably going to be open till August. Like, I will never see my book in a bookshop. Like, and I just completely resigned (laughs) myself to the fact that it was never going to happen. And so now where I'm at this place where no, on publication day, I'm not going to see it in a bookshop, but hopefully like three weeks after that, I will. I just feel really lucky and so much else has gone on like i thought i was going to feel really disappointed that i'm not going to get the kind of publication experience that i thought i might but i i just don't i just don't feel disappointed or sad or anything about it other than really really excited and it's been lovely because the ebook and audiobook are already out uh, which was wasn't planned until january when the publishers were like ah what are we gonna do um everything's closed and but I like I feel really really lucky that my hardback publication date didn't get pushed back loads which I know has happened to loads of people so I I think we'll be able to celebrate like I we're gonna find a bookshop hopefully that has my book in the window even if it's closed and like have a drink outside socially distance drink uh <laughs> socially um, distance of course, distance of course. <laughs> everything I'm about to say socially distance um and I think there's some like online events that we're doing in on that week and the week after I've got a few coming up and I'll have like some zoom ugh, more zoom stuff but um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it all. I think it's still going to be really great, even if it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, and I think the funny thing is, is that like if anything that the past year has shown us, like so many amazing books have come out, you know, in 2020 and had to go through this pandemic publicity. But I think a lot of it is going to stay the same. Like these like online events have been so great for so many people and like they'll probably stay. And will it all go back to, I guess, what we thought a book campaign should look like? beforehand like probably not but
0: it will be very exciting in some ways that's good though because it means that you know people don't have to travel down from Sheffield for a launch in London and yeah. you know you, you it will be lovely one day though I'm sure to uh, celebrate in Sheffield as well oh, yeah. maybe maybe take the book to a couple of those <laughs> iconic places That's such a good please idea please do that I'm definitely gonna do that <laughs> yeah. take it on tour <laughs> yeah. and also even though it's it's being published in a pandemic I did see when I was Prepping for this interview, um, that you know it's hit number one of like LGBT fiction and um some like n- like number one spots on Amazon, which is really exciting as well. Amazing. And it proves that you know you don't necessarily have to have it in a bookshop for it to do well. And that's that's really nice. And and like I said, it's been getting really nice press, really nice reviews, and um it will be exciting to see it though. I hope that I get to go into Waterstones. In Sheffield before I leave, and like see it there. And I hope so like, too.
2: Yes. Yeah, that would be amazing. Oh my gosh, if I if
0: I do, I'll have to I'll have to snap a photo and and yeah, send it to definitely. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love yeah. to be in a bookshop in Sheffield.
1: So throughout this like whole, you know, your whole publishing experience with the split, as we said, you know, still a ways to go really with the whole journey, but it will be published soon. What was, like, the one thing that really surprised you about, like, the publishing experience or industry or something? The one big surprising thing?
2: Um, well, the thing that comes to mind first is how slow everything is. I had no idea. So I signed my um, contract, or, like, I got my publishing deal uh, in December of 2019, Um, I probably didn't actually sign my contract for months after that, as an example of how slow the publishing industry is. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, like when's my book going to come out? Like maybe by the summer. And they were like, no, no, March, 2021. Um, and I just had no idea that it was going to take that long and that there was, yeah, that, that but also that all of that time would be used, like that there was so much to it that it really does. There are need. lots of steps in the process that yeah. you don't realize. Yeah. I had no idea. There's yeah, there's so, so much to it. There's this, this huge machine behind it. And yeah, I, I could never have imagined how much goes into the creating of a book and the publishing of a book. And I'm still learning all about it now. Like There's still <laughs> stuff that surprises me now. So yeah.
1: That is a pretty common answer that people I don't realize how slow
2: publishing is yeah yeah and now that I know like how much like how much goes into it I'm like how do they do it in a year and a bit you know like but yeah when I first found
0: out I was shocked (laughs) you have been working on your second novel yes. so can you tell us anything about that um I don't think I can tell you much
2: but I can (laughs) say that it if you um if you liked the split you'll like this like it's Um, lots of queer characters queer friendships relationship drama some traveling um which was a total joy to write because I wrote this book in lockdown one so in like full of (laughs) wonderlust yeah and I was like and then they could go here and then they could go here like traveling outside of my like bedroom where I was writing this book and when I sent it to my um agent my editor I was like you have to tell me if it's weird because I haven't done anything or seen anyone or had a conversation in person now for like three months. Um, so if it's weird, let me know. And they they were like, how, how are we going to know if it's weird? We also haven't done that. So <laughs> we'll see.
1: Another interesting <laughs> side effect so to look yeah. back on
2: in years yeah. to come is the content and art that was created
1: <laughs> in this
2: time. Yeah, where like all yeah. characters are, like jumping up the way of each other and like touching elbows, <laughs> and stuff. Um, but it's not actually set. Like I've completely avoided writing about the pandemic. I've I've said it in a in a different time, slightly just to avoid it because I was like, I no one wants to read about this yet, and I certainly don't want to write about it. Yeah, I know. I'm ex- I'm excited about it.
1: How have you found the writing, editing, polishing process the second time around so far?
2: I have found it easier to self-edit because. I I already know in my head what my editor's gonna say like as Maybe. I'm reading it I found writing in lockdown one e- weirdly easy because I think it was nice to have something to focus on and it just gave me this purpose like I finished work and then I started work on the book um, and it just gave me something to do um, and then as the years gone on and so like in the latest lockdown this is so ridiculous I feel like I'm talking about some kind of dystopia like in circles yeah. or something. This lockdown,
0: um, that lockdown. Yeah, I, uh, I find it. Yeah, weird. I mean that's what the British government's been doing. It has gone been going yeah. in circles. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so
2: lately it's been slightly more trickier, I think, because it's like harder to concentrate. With especially it's like we're coming out the other side of it now, touch word. But um in the past like sort of three months, it's just felt like we're gonna be it locked down forever and it's felt quite hard to be motivated and also the focus has been on book one coming out but I am expecting edits back in the next sort of month or so and I'm hoping I'll be able to concentrate a bit more once like yeah
0: the sun's out and we're allowed to see people outside and stuff like that like normal things to end on something lovely though Can you tell us any queer books that you've loved lately that we should be reading? We'd love to have some more recommendations.
2: Yes, so I've just written a little list.
0: So some books that I have read recently, um, a book called Memorial
2: by Brian Washington, which is set in the US and is about a couple going through a sort of like transitional period in their relationship and one of them moving away, one of them living with the other one's mother and how they are dealing with that situation. It's really, really good and I enjoyed it a lot. A book called Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, which is coming out in the UK. Well, it's out on an ebook and audiobook now. I think it's coming out possibly the same day as my book in the UK, and I'm not sure about Australia, which is a really wonderful um, YA book about um, growing up queer as a Chinese-American in San Francisco in the 1950s. That sounds amazing. It's a really beautiful book. It's my favourite book I've read this year. In at the Deep End by Kate Davies, which is, I think, it came out like two years ago now, but is a really great and fun and filthy read, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> A book called Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which is like massive at the moment. It's really, really hyped and really lives up to the hype. I've just read a advanced copy of The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle by Matt Kane, which is out in May and it's a really gorgeous story about a retired postman coming out in later life and it is just so
0: lovely and I laughed and I cried and I think anyone who enjoyed the split would really really love that book oh my god just as you saying I was going to be like that's going to make me cry but from happiness because it's too cute it's like so that's cute. really sweet it <laughs> yeah. sounds so cute okay I definitely yeah those sound incredible and we will include all of um all of them in the episode notes as well thank you so much for joining us on this weirdly rambly chat. <laughs> we really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been loads of fun. Where can
2: people find you online and follow you? So I'm on Twitter at Laura Eliza K, and I'm on Instagram at Laura EK.
0: And yeah, we encourage everyone to read The Split because it is wonderfully funny and lovely. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at
0: betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.